0: Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Vice and Easy. Thank you once again for showing me all the love on social media. I uh, kind of blew up on TikTok, and as someone who supposedly <laughs> has a bilingual certification on their high school diploma, uh, my French is garbage, and I am nowhere near bilingual. So that's why it's actually funny. This episode, we are dealing with French Canadians in Miami, and furthermore, I do want to shout out the casting team of Miami Vice because every single Francophone in this episode is actually French-Canadian, so kudos to them. All right, let's break it down. We are breaking down season two, episode 15, entitled One Way Ticket. Per IMDb, a district attorney is killed at a wedding for getting too close to a French-Canadian drug lord that's operating in Miami. Since the victim was a close friend of the criminal's lawyer, Sonny tries to make the lawyer do something about it. All right, let's get down into it. We're opening up this episode on a... Horribly tacky wedding. Number one, what I noticed in this episode... There are lots of people wearing white who are not the bride. I'm not just talking about Sunny. Obviously, Sunny is wearing white, but I see women in white dresses, white skirts, white jackets, and I was like, oh, that's so déclassé. I have this dress. It is a wrap dress. It is, yes, it's a cream background, but it's big, giant, geometric pink and orange shapes. I made the mistake of wearing this to a wedding because I've worn it to a church wedding before and then obviously for the reception I'd change, and that wasn't a problem because it's not actually white but I wore it to this very tiny wedding and I asked my boyfriend at the time a million times you know will this be appropriate blah blah, blah. how small is the wedding what does the bride's dress look like people kept coming up this, okay this is like such an asshole this is such a Libra moment people kept coming up to compliment me on my dress and the bride was wearing like just like a very subdued soft lilac Empire waist dress, and I wanted to die. And since then, I have been extremely careful of what I wear to weddings. So the fact that everyone is just not everyone, but a lot of people are wearing white willy nilly, including one of my favorite outfits, which is a striped silk pink pussy bow blouse. Yes, that's a real thing, with the white skirt that I really like. I made a little picture of it with a little arrow pointing towards it, but this wedding obviously something goes down so let's get down to it uh let's just talk about fashion really quickly because these are the most hideous bridesmaid dresses I have ever seen in my life they are ill-fitting they do nothing for these poor teenage girls figures they are silver and a metallic fabric a synthetic fabric so I'm sure they smell atrocious the second they started sweating it does nothing for them. And the bride looks very cute in white with the little headband, very young. I just can't get over how ugly these bridesmaids dresses are. And it gets even worse for these girls, unfortunately, because as the ceremony concludes, the reception starts, the bridesmaids call over their dad for a photo. And this is where we've been introduced to a gentleman doing a little bit of drugs as we zoom in putting on an incredibly fake little mustache with a little curly like a Jerry curled wig <laughs> a white caterer suit and he's walking around the wedding uh holding the tray not at all the way anyone who's ever worked in catering or serving ever has he's holding it with two hands at the edge you always have one hand underneath and then you serve the drinks with your free hand. So that should have given it away. But uh, unfortunately he is there for business, not actually to be a cater waiter, surprise, surprise. As the father of the bride, I'm assuming it's the father of the bride, is posing with the two bridesmaids who are sisters, twin sisters, important note that we'll get to later on this episode. The faux cater waiter slash assassin opens fire, kills the dad and kills the two girls, runs off, hijacks a boat, glides up to the distance while Crockett and Tubbs chase after him. Now, let me backtrack this a little bit since I did not put this in the correct order. Whose daughter is getting married but a prominent district attorney in Miami that Sonny and Rico are seemingly close with, shake his hand, thank him for coming, tell them they gotta go off early while the sleazy lawyer in question and the district attorney some very eye-rolling dad lawyer jokes in this next scene. Excuse me, excuse Mr. Prosecutor. Larry. I <laughs> think it's a lovely wedding, you should be very proud. I'm a little choked up there for a minute myself. <laughs> you, there's not a judge in town that'll believe that. Now, don't use it against me in court, eh? Huh? <laughs> 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 oh, and the not so subtle lawyer groany tropes and stereotypes continue this whole episode but yes after the cold open unfortunately the district attorney we just talked to his two teenage daughters are both dead and the gunman is nowhere to be found and as we open after the cold open after the intro we see one way tickets zoom in on the bride and groom on the wedding cake then Crockett gives a little bit more backstory of where the beef between him and the sleazy lawyer we just met in the cold open, how that started. Crockett. Is anything I can do to help? Uh... sure. If we catch the guy, I'll give him your number. What is uh is your problem? Don't dig seeing my friends get killed. Don't you remember? Langley and I were very close. Yeah? How close were you to Granny? I was this close. What's this got to do with Graney? I filed a motion. The judge declared a mistrial. Take it up with him. Don't read me the record, pal. There aren't any technicalities to hide behind on the street. Oh my God, that is so <laughs> crunchy. <laughs> I know it's about like an actual sad topic and Crockett divulges a little bit more to Tubbs as to what was going on. So Grainy was a very new kid working in Vice. They both went undercover for a mission. Graney was a new father. Graney ends up being shot. The shooter is apprehended and booked by Crockett, but because Crockett got a little bit rough during the apprehension and the arrest not all protocols were followed and unfortunately there is a reason why those protocols are in place to protect people of their rights and it is incredibly frustrating when incredibly sick demented people can get off on these technicalities which is why everything needs to be followed to the nth degree to prevent these kind of issues from happening so unfortunately this happened to Crockett and the lawyer as sleazy as it is to be fair that is exactly what he's hired for lawyers are hired to find whatever they can and it gets better on this episode and you'll see how sleazy he is and it reminds me a little bit of Tom Girardi which I know my analytics for listeners it's 96% male I Doubt there was any overlap with The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but this is a very scandalous story that I'll be linking to in the show notes of a very high-ranking California lawyer with access to private jets and how it was revealed that it was, in essence, a Ponzi scheme where he was robbing Peter to pay Paul and that he was stealing... Money from settlement funds of victims who had perished on plane crashes and burn victims, and essentially stealing and hoarding this money away from children and widows and orphans of these tragedies. Tom Girardi is the name, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. So, this lawyer, obviously not on the same level, but you know, lawyers make money, especially in different legal fields and this is why most people get into law and I don't blame them because you're not going to put yourself through three four years of miserable backbreaking school then you're articling then you're interning then you're working a hundred hours a week to make partner you are doing this for the payoff for the financial security but when a lawyer has a private jet this is very much a red flag and we'll get to this later on the episode And now, before we leave the scene of the crime slash the wedding reception, let me note, there was a very big cameo that I totally forgot to mention, even though I'm looking at him (laughs) in my (laughs) gallery. It's Jan Hammer. I made a gif of Jan Hammer jamming out, and he is very much the second wild card of the episode, which I'll get to later. He is wearing a textured blue silk blazer, I believe, with no shoulder pads. It's not as large as some of the ones that Crockett's wearing with a pink silk tie with a black pattern and then a silk shirt that is also hot pink underneath. So we got some really interesting male outfits this episode, but I digress. I am going all over the map here. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to stick to my order of things. (laughs) So as we're at the precinct or OCB, they're talking about what a nice guy Langley was, how he used to hold the door open for Trudy in court, always said hi. Known all over as a nice guy. unfortunately, the two bridesmaids were confirmed killed. Now, Langley had been working with the D.A. against some French-Canadian mobsters. So Zito and Swiatek are sent by Castillo to do a little bit of recon, get a little bit of information at a known French-Canadian watering hole called Home Base. I believe it's either Fort Lauderdale or Hollywood, Florida, just a little bit north of Miami. This bar is kind of what I want in a bar. It is smoky. It is dark. They're purplish walls with gold leaf decal decal. Wow, decals. Wow. Oh my god decorations it just looks incredibly cool but it seems to be possibly a restaurant because they have tablecloths then <laughs> I am sorry I'm not trying to laugh at their accents I actually recognize this actor Bluto, but I will say when I went to his IMDB I noticed that this was his first English television credit Again, I am not fully bilingual or trilingual. I know other languages, but I'm so I'll never make fun of somebody for having an accent because at least they're trying. But I'm gonna put money and say that he learned all his lines phonetically, as you can see in this clip. Are you crazy, man? What are you talking about? <laughs> If you think Faber is going to approve of this. That's not your business. Also, I just want to know how many cigarettes he smoked before this scene because it sounds like his voice is that of someone 30 years older than him. But I really like this guy. He's incredibly charming. I love all his outfits, this entire episode. I know my social media this week is just going to be a love letter to him and again like you know he's a well-regarded Canadian actor but like not anything on the big leagues as anyone else. So basically him and this other French-Canadian mobster, mafioso, drug dealer, what have you Snowbird are hashing it out and then (laughs) our boy Sago takes a knife and holds it up to this guy's eye like threatening to stab his eye out when the waiter gets involved. <laughs> Come on, tough guy! Show me! pas si not here! si Well, that makes me feel better about my French-speaking abilities and my accent, because <laughs> technically is right. si but that, like, literally means not in here. Like, I'm sure there's another way to say it in French, but that is just a literal translation. So, as our boy Sago tries to flee this club he doesn't like being told what to do and he heavily vocalizes that to the wait staff tries to flee when zito and switek intercept him find a little vial of drugs on him take him in for questioning again this is the star of the episode because this is him talking with his lawyer but who could be his lawyer why it's our boy the one that Crockett has major beef with his name is thurmond and he and him are not getting along become a crusader like Langley and things are bound to happen know what I mean talking about murder here three people two of them teenagers yeah well what do you expect twins are bad luck twins how do you know they're twins I read it in the papers paper only said they were sisters maybe I heard it on the radio Where were you last night before Lulu? I was having dinner at Duke's. Hey, where did you get off asking me that? Just do the job Faber is paying you to do, understand? Just do your damn job. Wow, anyone who's worked in customer service, this episode and the last episode where Charlie Glide was like, you gotta do your job, Crockett. Ha oh, just like sending chills in our spine, especially during the Christmas season. <laughs> but I digress. So it seems that they go way back. And when he mentions Faber... This is another piece of the puzzle of this French-Canadian mafia connection. Now, before you scoff at the idea, there are actually a ton of French Canadians in Florida during the winters. Canadians are well known to snowbird, but I've actually linked an article talking a little bit more about that. And this was in 1982. And there was another one I read, I remember during the pandemic of all these Quebecois that couldn't go down to Miami or to South Florida for the winter but there's like a little town like a little RV park that pays homage to Florida and it was very cute and they just tried to make little activities and sit around bonfires and talk to one another you know trying to get through the pandemic and I thought that was very wholesome. So speaking of Faber Thurman goes over to visit him where is he where the wealthy are quite easily to be found Why he is at the stable with his daughter who is riding horses. Must say, I love the eyebrows in this man as someone who was also born with quite thick eyebrows. Kudos. He's kept them. Even I looked at a picture of him recently on his Voices 123 profile and you can still see them there, even though this is what? Almost 40 years old? But then Thurman Fabergo, Faber, sorry, Faber, go way back. Turns out shady lawyer is going to do shady things and accept money from shady people and then be surprised when he can't just wriggle his way out of a deal in this next clip. You helped with the firm. You've been very generous, but I cannot represent these people anymore. This, we've talked about this in a lot of other episodes, money equals control. So be incredibly careful where you get your money from and where that source's money is coming from. Then we get a nice mafia sentiment at the end of their conversation. After these many years, is it a matter of conscience? It's very simple. I want out now. I mean it, John. That's impossible, Larry. I love the delivery of Impossible with that French Canadian accent. It just kind of sent shivers down my spine when I was writing it. Like I have all the things on my notes, like, oh oh my God, you're just like very sexy and stern. And here's where we have kind of an interesting juxtaposition and a contrast of how life can go for you in law enforcement, the corrupt way or the honorable way. Also depending on class, law school graduate versus police officer. Now we see Thurmond pull up onto a tarmac in his 365 GTS Ferrari. Now Crockett also has a Ferrari. He doesn't own the Ferrari. The Ferrari is basically lent to him as part of his job. So I've seen like kind of these like class clashes hinted at, but this just completely is very unsubtle in its messaging. So we have Crockett, who's arrived early to the precinct. We see Tubbs literally clock in, which I like. That was like a nice little touch. Talk to Crockett, letting Crockett know there will be a briefing later on today because Castillo wants eyewitness reports of what happened at the wedding shooting. Crockett, obviously not in the mood to participate, gets Tubbs to cover for him because he's going. And if he asks for you... Tell him I went to see my therapist. Now, in my notes, I wrote therapist, question mark, question mark. Do you mean a bar? Uh, I'm off base because he actually goes to a shooting range and he's getting some solid targets hit and he's even complimented by the gentleman who's running the range while his lawyer adversary has pulled up in his Ferrari to take his private jet... Now, there is a little bit of continuity error. The jet that we see on the ground is a Learjet, and the one up in the air is something different. Um, I was talking to my boyfriend. He was explaining to me all the codes that are on airplanes, and so I knew the difference, but obviously there's a different plane that he's flying up in the sky. And (laughs) it is just really sad to see someone honest who does the right thing, who doesn't make much money, who has a failed marriage and barely ever sees his child, all in the name of trying to right the wrongs. And then you have this sleazy lawyer who was on the payroll for all these gangsters living this high life. And it just shows you how unfair the world really is. So I actually kind of like that as much as it is a little bit cheesy in the cut and not really a fan of pete townsend for many reasons and his song face the face is playing during this not really a montage i do not really a split screen either just kind of like a juxtaposition sliding doors i'd say you know what crockett's life could be like if he was in the pockets of really dirty criminals and well after that talk on class differences and morals let's let's talk Let's talk shop, auto body shop, if you will, as Tubbs pulls in with Crockett as the passenger, checking his car at the cutest body shop you ever did see. It's run by a beautiful woman, very charming, named Tommy, played by Annie Golden. And the mural that is on the side that Tubbs' his car is right in front of, it's this fun, very 80s retro vibe with print in the sunglasses and the big shiny pink lips. Just such an amazing mural. And it's just such an iconic scene. And Tommy does pop up in a couple more episodes. She was also in The Prodigal Son, but she's just like a welcoming array of comic relief. you Okay, Tommy, what's the story this time? sonny boy, are you familiar with the expression, a carburetor is like a good woman? Tommy! A carburetor is like a good woman because if you don't make constant, delicate adjustments, she'll choke you to death. So in addition to tinkering with the carburetor, Tommy has also made a few other adjustments on the Ferrari with a bill totaling $600. Kruk kind of freaks out a little bit. She reassures him that she charges her rich clients even more, especially this hotshot lawyer's Ferrari that she's working on. Now, $600 in 1985 would be the equivalent of $1667 today. So that is quite a hefty bill. But again, you're bringing in a Ferrari all the parts are going to be more expensive, the labor and such is going to add up. But again, it's just kind of, you know, a show, showcasing class differences again, whereas this rich lawyer can just fix this willy-nilly, whereas Crockett might need to go on a savings plan, might need to rack up credit card debt in order to get the car fixed that he uses for work that he basically has on loan. I don't know if the department's going to reimbursement for maintenance, upkeep, and repairs. So, wow, I did not mean to get this deep on this episode. I was trying to find all this gossip on the French Canadian guys and they seem pretty clean. So I guess, yeah, maybe let's just depress everybody with uh, the futility of life. And let me segue that into a hot cold tip that Crockett is getting on his car phone as he's at Tommy's auto body shop in this next clip. The man responsible for the death of state's attorney, Richard Langley, is Philippe Sago. He was arrested last night for possession of narcotics. Who is this? Hello? Now kids, this was a different time. There wasn't caller ID, there weren't touch screens. So unless his number could be traced with star 69, which is what we used as kids, they have no way to actually trace this call. So once Crockett takes this information to Castillo, Castillo kind of pushes back on and says like, look, you have nothing. Even though Crockett wants to bring in the guys that Sago was fighting with at the French Canadian bar that they busted Sago at, luckily they are able in the end to bring in the guy he was fighting with. And we get another really close-up sweaty interrogation scene. They are both sweating. And the Frenchman, sorry, the French-Canadian guy, I didn't get his name, whatever. Um, He plays dumb. He's like, I haven't seen him in months, blah, blah, blah. This is when Zito swoops in and gets to be the hero and reminds him who he was fighting with last night. And not surprisingly, our guy getting interrogated... Doesn't want to keep playing this game. In this next clip. What are you saying, man? I just said maybe. I don't want to say nothing else. I'm still. I have my lawyer. I'm gonna protect you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you protect your attorney? No, merci. Get him out of here. Uh, To be fair that's kind of a good point. I wouldn't be working with law enforcement agencies if I had just been privy to a district attorney getting gunned down at his daughter's wedding. I would be a little apprehensive as to what protection they can really offer me. So I get it. Now let's get to matters of the heart. We see Thurman visiting what we learn is his ex-wife at her gallery. I actually really love the ex-wife's look. She's very classically beautiful with great bone structure. While the art isn't exactly my style she her outfits except this jacket's a little bit wild but again I have to remember that she was a businesswoman in the 80s. This is very apropos of what she would have been wearing at the time. So he gives her this, what looks like just a janky old statue, but it turns out this was the deal breaker in their divorce. And I'm sure that divorcing a powerful attorney with connection to mobsters was a really fun time for her. Speaking of, I know that there's only 4% of women listening, but one of the best books I've ever read. It's only 900 pages, so... (laughs) putting that out there, was The Twelfth of Never, which was the true story of Betty Broderick's divorce. She, of course, murdered her ex-husband and his new wife in their bed. There was a Dirty John uh, television series about it. But the more I read of not just the story, but how divorces play out and that no-fault divorces actually have made it harder for women going through the process of divorce and being able to build their lives back up And it was just an incredibly interesting book from not only a scandalous perspective, but from a legal perspective. So she's questioning what's going on. Again, if you're a high-priced lawyer husband was fighting tooth and nail over some statue in court, all of a sudden shows up your art gallery playing all nice, you're going to have questions in this next clip. Larry, is everything really okay? How's the practice? It's not everything anymore. Maybe there should be a law that we have to be 38 before we make the decisions we make when we're 28. And then Crockett comes to completely ruin any semblance of romance in that scene to face off again, to ask him about Sago. But it turns out his ex-wife actually recognizes Crockett because she even says detective, like you guys are still doing this back and forth. So their beef runs deep if the ex-wife is privy to this. Let's check in with our main man, Segoe because as I've been gushing over his wild choice of outfits, this one might take the cake. I still have to decide who's going to be best dressed. It is a purple blazer with tons of jewels. Again, the shaggy hair, bright tie. He pops in to his French compatriots bathroom. I'm sorry. I don't remember this guy's name and there's no need to learn it. Spoiler alert. Because Segoe complains that he's been racking up a big phone bill and shoots him and his dead body glides down the glass blocks as the blood streaks down. It is such an amazing cheesy scene. Then let's cut to Sego talking to his boss. Surprise, surprise! Sego is a little cocky and a little too full of himself as evidenced in this next clip. They got no probable cause. Where did you hear that? From Terman. He came by last night to set me down. He He says, in case anything goes down, I told him everything about the hit. He says they got no hard evidence. So I got nothing to worry about. I don't care what he says. I want you to disappear for a while. Now, before we leave Faber, Look at the cup he's holding. It's actually super cool. It's kind of like a chunky striped design with black borders. I just really like it. I just think it's very fashionable. It's a very fashionable man, but I really enjoy that. Oh, again, if you are new to the podcast, you can find the gallery through my link tree on either Instagram or now on TikTok. Um, You can always visit the website at viceandeasypodcast.com. All right, now we see Sago driving down, cruising down the street in what appears to be an automatic transmission Shelby. A little uncommon at the time from what... I could gather. I didn't do a whole ton of research on this, but I did think it was a little bit weird. Took a picture of my boyfriend, also thought it was a little bit weird. He spots Zwajtek and Trudy keeping an eye on him. Again, the confidence on this man is astounding in this next clip. In case I lose you cops, here's our afternoon. Ball Arbor to buy some luggage, then down to the palms for a haircut. Just a little trimming edge if you think I need it. Take everything off, above the neck. I'm taking a little plane trip out of the country tomorrow. What do you say you come along as a carry-on luggage? Why don't you stick around? We'll send you on a vacation. I'll send you a postcard. You think this guy practices it being a tube stick? Ah, well now, speaking of flying, again, our hard-pressed lawyer, Thurmond, needs a little bit of relaxation, so he goes for a ride in his Learjet. Again, I'm gonna link to a little bit more articles about Tom majority. They're all gonna be the LA Times, so they're probably gonna be paywalled, but worth quite a read. While Crockett's words play back in his head. What'd you do, trade in your conscience when you pass the bar? All right, while these moralist flashbacks and questions are playing in Thurman's head, he crashes his plane. Now, the body cannot be found. While they're discussing this at the precinct, Crockett gets another tip, writes down details, and these details are much more detailed. Sorry, (laughs) portraits of words. Then last time, he tells them the exact safety deposit box, that you can find the gun that was used to kill Langley at. You can find the uniform, yada, yada, yada. So a lot more information is coming with this. So while he's on the phone, he asks tabs to trace the call. They're able to trace it down to kind of like a rundown apartment. Now, I love the landlord because the landlord not only has a kid on her shoulder, but a big cat. That's not too happy to see Crockett, but Crockett's able to hold him anyway. Just kind of holds him up like Simba. Tubbs gives him a little scratch on the back. So that was my little kitty moment in Miami Vice. We finally get into the hotel room or apartment. Sorry, it is an apartment. I should watch my words. They just find a phone, answer machine, and a player. No one's there. So again, someone could have just... Had this message sent out at a certain time, they could have actually delivered the message live. Who knows? They're not gonna get any answers because they didn't find anybody there. So, well, that was a dead end. They're back at the precinct, kind of pacing around. They're still waiting on a warrant, waiting for the safety deposit box to be able to ID the gun, and Sago's plane leaves in 45 minutes. So, and Cristio warns Crockett not to move until Zito is able to ID the gun. Sago is waiting in line outside of Tarmac for a little seaplane to show up to go on wherever his vacation may take him. And then once he's out of the country, they're going to lose this case. So luckily, while they're doing surveillance, we got Trudy and Zwaitek who's the go eyes, who he recognizes looking at him. Then we got Tubbs and Crockett as well. They're all keeping an eye on him when they finally get the call to go. As they go to rest him, He decides to open fire, run away, and another hijacked boat. This is one of my favorite chase scenes of the entire series. It very much brought me back to Vice City. I do remember there were a couple missions where you had to kind of bypass and boat through these narrow, low, low clearance bridges. And then you see Crockett and Tubbs, in the spider, keeping pace with him, and it's just such a great shot. However, I am going to point out, me being me, that the stuntman has completely different hair texture than the actor playing Sego. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blonder. I did take a lot of gifs and a lot of shots of this chase that you can see on the gallery, and... It's a great shot so when you see the stuntman from behind, even with the different textured hair, you can see kind of all these old school gadgets in the boat. And then the police boat does catch up with him. So does have to come to a stop. He realizes he's kind of out of luck. This is when Crockett, it's a great gift I made, of Crockett jumping from the bridge into the boat and telling him to not even blink. All right, now that they got Sogo, they wanna get a little bit more information on Thurman. It's quite awfully convenient that his plane blew up and nobody can find his body. So they go to Tommy, who has a lot more information than she initially let on in this next clip. Tommy, I need the story on this car right now. God, it's terrible. Young guy, had everything going for him. Boom, gone still. Yeah, when Thurman came in, did he say anything or do anything weird? Well, he paid me upfront, that was pretty weird. And he said if he wasn't back in a couple of days to pick up the car, that I should call this Alicia woman and have her pick up the car, which I'm going to do first thing after lunch. Tommy, come on now. Was there anything else? As a matter of fact, yeah. He said you guys should be coming by and would I give you a package? So the messenger delivered it. I signed for it. Where? I signed for it here. Where, the package, where is it? Oh, it's in the front seat where I keep the uh, tickets. He's giving us favor. Okay, so clearly he's faked his own death. He's given all this information to take down Faber and his whole squad. They already have Sago and the other guy's dead. Now, they want to get a little bit more information. They go visit the ex-wife at her gallery. She makes a good point that the call came in. The tip came in to Crockett after he had already died. He pushes back and suggest that, you know, maybe it was on a recording, a timer, what have you. Her beautiful bone structure. Sorry, I'm just admiring this picture of her in the gallery while I'm talking. And she's wearing a very great color. I want to say that's like a mauve, a dark lilac. Crockett's got like a little white sport coat. They do look great this whole episode and we'll get to that obviously we talk about fashion because otherwise we're going to talk about all the categories and we'll have nothing to break down at this end of the episode unless that plane crash was no accident i don't think it was he came by to say goodbye what do you mean the day you came here he came by out of the blue to bring me this present The present is the statue that was a contentious part of their divorce. She also shows a picture that that was the one that he gave back to her when he says that, you know, he knows that she didn't really like photos of herself, but she mentions that he was the happiest he ever was on this island. They push back a little bit. Where is this island? She states Rum Key by Bimini, bingo, bango, they're off. As Crockett and Tubbs chit-chat while they're walking, circumventing this very small island, it seems, they stumble upon an older white gentleman in a Panama hat fishing. They know exactly who it is. Crockett also looks amazing in this scene with his coral blazer that we remember from the pilot, black undershirt, unbuttoned, of course, and white pants and white shoes, but I really like The color with the contrasting shades of black and white just looks like a million bucks. And Thurmond, he looks like a retired middle-aged man in the tropics. It is a great look. That shirt is probably from Tommy Bahama. Now Thurmond and Crockett spar off a little bit. Thurmond says that he gave him a faba, that he blew up his whole life, he left his whole life behind. Crockett's adamant to bring him in as a witness Crockett I gave up everything If you're looking for sympathy from me buddy you're knocking on the wrong door You chose your clients Yeah you're right Got so that I couldn't look at myself in the mirror anymore and the fact that I was settling an old score with a guy that I always thought was a good cop. The way he phrased that obviously ruffled Crockett's feathers. A guy I thought was a good cop because you can tell and you can see Crockett's demeanor change. He's adamant to bring him in. He's adamant that he's not going to be able to live out the rest of his retirement or what have you on this island. But after that comment, Crockett changes moods completely and he's as Thurman's about to get his thing as Crocker goes hey you know what you want to be dead pulls finger guns bang you're dead freeze frame end of episode and that was one way ticket all right let's break it down this is a wild episode so let's go through some of the more subdued looks now naturally best dressed male I'm going to give it To Crockett, there is a picture, however, please go to the gallery and check it out, of Crockett and Tubbs sitting in Castillo's office, both in gray, Crockett in just kind of like a light gray blazer, black undershirt, white pants, Tubbs with a textured patterned gray blazer, colt blue undershirt, unbuttoned with his gold medallion. That's probably my best dress for the entire episode. Second place is also going to be Crockett again for the coral black and white ensemble I just spoke of. Now, if you're asking, Marina, weren't you talking about Sego the entire episode? Uh, Of course I was, but he's going to win my wild card just because of how wild his outfits are. I also want to know what time of year this episode... I'm assuming they were shooting in, like, January, February because he just has a lot of layers on. And I get it, you know... You're used to dressing for the cold in Quebec and in Canada, but the oversized blazers kill me. There's a little bit of sparkle you can see when he's when we first see him walking into the bar, not disguised as the cater waiter. Then the lilac blazer that he wears to shoot his friend with all his rings and his jewels and the little striped tie, can't get over that. His tie game is also crazy this episode. We have the green, purple, and yellow one when we first see him when he changes into the cater waiter outfit. Then we also have another one, I need to find it. Oh my God, the green unbuttoned shirt. I'm surprised I didn't put that as best dress. I guess I had to give it to the lilac. (laughs) Oh, I like blazer, but the unbuttoned chartreuse shirt during questioning with the cigarette and the newspaper and his feet up on the table. Um, I definitely have to make a few gifts of that. I'm also very excited. I'm going to send a lot of these and get some dirt on them from my friend from Montreal. So I will report back if I have any gossip because there's no Vice I this episode. Like I couldn't find anything, Any Golden pretty clean, all the French Canadian actors pretty clean. It's also like very wholesome when you see French Canadian and Canadian actors like still actively work on Canadian productions as well as in the States. So I always appreciate that. His tie when he's talking to Faber, when Faber tells him basically to get hidden, that is also wild and textured along with that giant oversized suit and his crazy hair. I, he is the star of the episode for me, but I want to split his wild card with Jan Hammer, with the blue bright blue and bright pink ensemble for his dialogueless cameo at the wedding Crockett also has this hot pink undershirt that he's been wearing throughout the episode on and off and he um there's a great picture of him with the blue pants where he's sitting on the desk oh no he's actually standing and smoking sorry (laughs) he's standing and smoking with the holster on before he's interrogating the other french canadian mobster then for the women definitely i'm going to give it to the girl with the textured pink blouse that i was talking about earlier but also i want to give it to alicia because she is just very well dressed and very beautiful and i really like that classic style now let's move to music. Now we only have three top 40 songs, let's have you. We have "Kyrie" by Mr. Mister, which is playing when Sago walks into the bar of my dreams, the bar that I would love to open, minus all the tourists. Then we also have Face the Face by Pete Townsend. Um, I am not doing Vice T on him because Vice tea should be fun. It should not involve... Children. And then the last song, of course, is Mustang Sally by Wilson Peckett as they're rolling up to any shop, which I thought was a very cute song to add in there. And then the Jan Hammer songs we have Last Flight and Rumkey, naturally. Now, I don't have Vice T. I do have a quote of the episode, which was gonna be a surprise to nobody, but I'll get to that in just a second. But uh, La Théa the gentleman that played Sago, actually has been on The Vikings, The Two Doors. He's had quite a solid career. The other gentleman didn't have as much of an IMDb presence, uh, Guy Thovot, who played Marcel, the guy whose name I couldn't remember throughout the entire episode. He was actually in Catch Me, if you can. Annie Golden, you'll know her from, I knew her from Hair, way back. And that's also a little connection with Philip Michael Thomas. He was also in a production of Hair, so was I. It's pretty easy to find someone who has been in a production of Hair. And then she was also really good on Orange is the New Black. And then Rose McVie, who was playing Alicia, Hasn't really acted since the late '80s, but I just really appreciated her look. And sorry, I wish I was coming with more vice tea. If I hear any word back from my Montreal friends, I will definitely let you know. And that is the end of the episode. Just want to thank you all for listening, for sharing, for finding me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. I have actually thank you to some fan um, mail. I have expanded my podcast reach. And I'm Jumping onto new platforms. So please spread the word and subscribe wherever you are. Don't forget to follow me on social media because I have, oh my God, before I end this episode, I am going to post my favorite tweet of 2022 that has to do with Montreal and smoking. (sighs) (laughs) And I say this as Montreal is my favorite Canadian city. And if I actually had been bilingual in high school, then I would be there in a heartbeat. But alas, My French is not good enough. It's not up to snuff. And I don't know if I want to. I want to get my Spanish up to snuff first before I tackle French. So, yes, definitely follow me because then you can find all these fun show notes, all these fun gifts, all these fun images, everything Vice and Easy. Follow me at everything at Vice and Easy Podcast. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Here is the quote of the week. There aren't any technicalities to hide behind on the street. Don't forget to send this to all your lawyer friends. Thank you again for listening, as always. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.